So did you guys hear? James might actually be looking at you in the intro to Silent Hill 2. Whoa. Fingers. Yo, this is Vector. Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. It's wild, right? And what does that mean? Yeah, because I, I didn't really get the significance of it. I was like, okay. Like I said, I'm not I'm not the biggest Silent Hill guy, so I just didn't really understand it. But that's why I brought it to y'all's attention. I, was I like, guess like from a, I guess from a generic standpoint, it could be sort of like one of those creepy, like, oh, he was looking at you uh, into your soul. I don't know. Uh, I think it's just a, a lighting trick. Well, I think somebody had mentioned maybe one of the developers. I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, he had said something like James as a model, his eyes are supposed to track the with the camera. Mm. And the camera's mm, behind, yeah, and they didn't expect some dude, like, 15 years later, no, 20 years later, to, like, jack up the brightness on the first scene of a single frame. Here's a question. Is it valid to interpret a game based on things you've only discovered by manipulating the game? Yes, absolutely. You think so? I mean, look at the hot coffee mod, you know? <laughs> If you don't manipulate the the actual code of the game, you don't even see that that's there. Or the um the the nude character models in the original uh, o- Oblivion, which is why that game had to be reclassified with an M rating. But that's not so, what I mean. I'm I'm not talking about oh. in terms of like classifying or rating. I'm talking in terms of like interpreting the game's meaning or story or intent. I don't <sighs> think there's a difference personally because it's like you're you're trying to derive meaning whether that's like you're applying a rating to it to determine what what audience this game is suitable for or you know or like any you know what did the developers mean when they put those nude character models in there like why why did they do that were were they trying to create a, a more realistic world were they trying to make it more mature like i mean it's either way you're if you hide something and that's that has meaning and then someone discovers it. It's weird, right? Because it's like Takayoshi Sato, he did those CG cutscenes by himself. Ask him. So I'll give you an example uh, from Metal Gear, actually. And I got into a, a fairly lengthy argument with a friend of mine about this. When Emma is crossing the oil fence in Metal Gear Solid 2 and Vamp jumps up and grabs her, it has always yeah. seemed to me like Snake had a clear shot. Why didn't he take the shot? Plot armor. And there's a lot of debate <laughs> around this. You know, um, the Snake Soup has done some, you know, a write-up about this, and there's different ways you can interpret it. I went into the document of MGS2, and I panned the camera back behind Snake to see exactly what his shot would look like from his point of view. Yeah. And from that point of view, it absolutely looks like he's got a clear shot. Like he could not have a clearer shot. But then that started the argument of you're manipulating the game. You're manipulating the camera and you're looking at it in a way that was not intended. 
So that's not a valid interpretation. You need to go by what was presented to you, not by what you what? manipulated the game to see. And I kind of, I, I understand the logic there. It's interesting because it's, it's almost like death of the author yeah. with extra steps. Because there's that technical element now, right? Right. Um, Wait you know, a second. For people that ain't got no learning, I need you to explain what death of the author is. So, I'm going to be real with you. I'm pretty sure Nitroid can explain this better than I can. Oh, God. But I'm going to sh- shoot my shot uh, and, and give it a whirl. So, from my understanding, death of the author is essentially when an author pushes out a piece of media and it's released in its final form. Essentially, their, their agency over how the media is interpreted is officially dead in a sense that how the audience interprets the media or the work is now under their control. Like the author can't essentially the author can't disrupt that meaning. Is, does that make sense? I hope, I hope that makes sense. Oh, like we, what JK Rowling does constantly. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there's been, I've seen a lot of like YouTube videos about the concept of death of the author used to almost justify continuing to support Harry Potter despite J.K. Rowling's <laughs> opinions. So, yeah, you, you essentially hit the nail on the head. It's, it, the Death of the Author was an essay written, written in the 60s by a, a French critic. And the argument was essentially that once a piece of work is out in the wild, it no longer belongs to the author and they don't have authority over it. And it then becomes the property of the audience to an extent and they are free to interpret it, and those interpretations are just as valid as anything the author might have offered. So yeah, it, you, 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 you essentially got it. And it's, it's an argument, not an absolute. You can interpret works via death of the author, or you can assume author authority. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing to say that one way is more valid than another. Right. It's just how, how do you choose to interpret this? It, it ultimately doesn't mean all that much, in my in my opinion. It's funny to apply death of the author to Metal Gear, given how most of the conversations you find in the fandom tend to focus on what Kojima intended. Right. Mm-hmm. Like most arguments I'll see about the games are, well, Kojima either intended this or didn't intend that or his vision was compromised by this, that, and the other thing. And so Death of the Author is not something that I see very often pop up in Metal Gear discussions. And maybe that's just because it's kind of a a higher concept that doesn't really work its way into video game conversation too often. So It seems like people just ignore whatever they say anyway. It's like, we're going to be like, (laughs) the devs said this, and they're like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Right, yeah, it's it's most of the time. Especially with Metal Gear. Right. Most of the time, if somebody can point to like, well, Kojima said this in an interview here, then that's then that kind of shuts then it down. Then you can point to another interview that says the opposite. It's just like, all right, what are we doing here? Right. So like it's it's funny because I, I've said this before, but contradictions and retcons in the Metal Gear franchise are not a bug. They're a feature. Yep. You know, that drives so much debate and conversation and interest in these games because Kojima will write a story and then immediately write another story that contradicts the previous story. And there is no doubt that he is aware that he's doing this. Right. So he's, he's acknowledged this openly before where he'll say like, well, yeah, it's in order to tell the story I wanted to tell, I had to fudge some details. 
Um, and then there's the issue of, like, is portable ops canon, which, uh, there's a there's a rabbit hole for you. I don't think it's really a rabbit hole. Portable Ops is canon, and and there are fans that they choose to say it's not canon because they're they're mad that that Kojima didn't direct it. And so there's like the hardcore Kojima zealots. They say that only the games that he worked he directed personally are Metal Gear canon. But Kojima said himself that Portable Ops w- was canon, and there are some small things that deviate. But it wasn't like they completely contradicted anything. He just said they deviate slightly. But he's gone on record. Yeah. No, but then after that... Yeah, and like he probably would have done some things differently. No, because after that, he later recanted and said, well, unless it's a Hideo Kojima game, if it's not something I wrote and directed, it's not a part of the Metal Gear saga. Wait, He has wait, wafted whoa, whoa, back whoa. and forth this on this. This is the point that we made like two minutes ago, isn't it? Like, we can go back and forth with his words, but at the end of the day... You know. Well, that's my point. That's why it's a rabbit hole, because he contradicts his own answers to this question. Post that. I want that posted in the description of, the, of this podcast. <laughs> like, where did he <laughs> source say Source of shit right yeah, now. Yeah, it was during an interview. Um, yeah, I think, find yeah. the I think, interview. Um, I want to see it in my face. <laughs> I think it was actually uh, Jose Molinas who asked him this question during an interview with Jeff Keighley. Yeah, that was the interview that I'm referencing, where he straight uh, up then, said, it's canon. Then it's another interview. And, and to, yeah. to that point, I want to just make it clear. He has never used the word canon in any answer he has ever given. That is not in his vocabulary. Well, then we have to use semantics and other linguistic tools to interpret what the hell he means. Right. And that's the problem. Okay. I get what you're saying. Mm. This is how I picture Major Tom and Big Boss arguing about the boss's will. Well, in this transcript, she said that borders should just be arbitrary. Well, in this interview, she said, "No, nah, I'm right. sorry, that sounds." So, like- are you saying that? So, are you saying that the Metal Gear saga is essentially the death of the boss? <laughs> yeah. Once she put her will out there. The audience could do whatever they wanted with it, for better or worse. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I had, like, two responses, I guess, to that, that point about, you know, Metal Gear fans just totally disregarding the death of the author. Um, you know, one thing is, I, I kind of think that's inherent to the fandom in a sense that, and, and I feel like you guys are going to be like, you are overrating this fandom so much right now, Chelsea. <laughs> but I feel like one aspect of Metal Gear's narrative is sort of thinking critically about the plot, whether it's, you know, interpreting everybody's motives in Metal Gear Solid 1 with Naomi and Fox Die and the Colonel and Liquid, or critically thinking about how the plot sort of unfolded in Metal Gear Solid 2 and, and, and Raiden having to, you know, rethink the motives of his superiors. So what I'm trying to get at is it's always been about questioning the intent of others. So in some ways, you know, Metal Gear is inherent to constantly questioning the intent of its creator. Um, it's just something that we constantly do. Um, the second point that I wanted to make, and this is kind of going, uh, around our tangent and back to the main point um, is the reason why I brought up death of the author is, you know, going back to your question is essentially breaking or data mining a game. Like, is that something that could be applied to death of the author in a sense that 
it's it's the right of the audience to look at these files and interpret them in the greater context of the video game that they're playing. Well, it depends on how you're interpreting them. Are you interpreting them in the context of how the game was made and developed or as parts of the story? You know? See, see, I would be more curious personally in the first, but I feel like the topic at hand is more covering the second. Right, because if you look at Metal Gear Solid 2 and some of the removed content there, you know what? Forget Metal Gear Solid 2 for a second. Let's look at Metal Gear Solid 5 and Chico, because that's a better, easier example that more people, I think, are familiar with. Um, one of the original plans was to have Chico survive and come back as sort of this wandering samurai-type character, right? Yeah, that concept <laughs> art looked badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was so, like the coolest thing. You, wait, you mean he's not quiet? <laughs> right, but it did not get finished. Yeah. He is not in the game. So my question to you is this. We have that information. We have that concept art. We know what the intent was. Should we consider it a part of the story? Did Chico live or die? Nah, he did. What? But that's that's different, though. Yeah, that's because, a little different. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reducing... That's what he's asking, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of an ad absurdum argument, essentially. You know, okay. I'm taking it to an extreme here. Yeah. Yeah, but, we, you know, if you... Only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is itself an absolute. So, <laughs> is Obi-Wan a Sith? It's like... But that's what I mean. That's 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 the thing. If we're going to manipulate the game or we're going to look at these these sort of extra-release examples of content and somehow interpret a meaning from that that is relevant to the story that was presented, even though it wasn't included, then, you know, where, where's the line? You know, if I, what's, what's the, what is the difference between me manipulating the camera in the document of MGS2 to see things at different angles that weren't intended okay. and Chico uh, being removed from the final game? So, like, what's the difference there? There's a, that's a big difference, it seems like. But that shit is on the disc. It's a gigantoid difference. Yeah. Because one, one thing is actually in the game, yeah. right? And I think it's a pattern, too. If you look at Snake uh, in MGS4, he's got that... He's in the uh, helicopter during the Raiden versus Vamp fight. Or, you know, when he's just, like, still strung up. And he just waits, like, a full minute and a half and lets Raiden get stabbed twice. Right. Um, I think Snake just likes to see stuff, like, play out. You know, okay. No, that's, <laughs> see what? <laughs> I, dude, I, I got the clip. He sits there. I, I just timed it. I was sitting there while you guys were talking. And I was like, "How long does he sit there and just watch from the helicopter?" And then he's like, "All right, I'll take the shot." Vamp stabs Ryan twice in the chest, and Snake's just like, "Hmm." So just circling up there. Fingers, are you are you using death of the author to interpret that Snake is a lazy piece of shit? Yeah. Pretty much. Excellent. Yeah, I'm throwing that card in right now. I'm like, all right. Because at the end of the day, I think, yeah, it, it's all just coming up to, like, what kind of headcanon we want to fit our own thing. And that's, like, mm. the interpretation of Metal Gear is so different for everybody. And, like, we'll, we'll line up on a bunch of shit, but then there will be that one thing that's like, I don't know about that, though. You know, and I think that's that's a big part of the fun of being in the Metal Gear community. And, like, I'm just, like, open to a lot of the different opinions. Well, look. Well, a lot of them are bullshit, but it's like it's still fun to hear them. It's like, all right, cool, that's your head cannon. It sucks, but whatever. We'll we'll have to discuss that on another episode because that's a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's similar. But 
Yeah, in regards to to Snake having a clear shot of Vamp, that's just suspension of disbelief. You don't need to manipulate any files or or switch camera angles to know that he has a clear shot. If you have any sort of spatial awareness or or any experience navigating a 3D environment, you can actually you can just see, you can look over it at Pliskin and see that he has a good shot at Vamp. So that doesn't require interpretation. That just requires you to to say to turn your brain off and say, "Oh, it has to be this way." or the game doesn't work. So, yeah, it's just turning your brain off. The other part is, like, in Silent Hill 2, if it turns out that James is looking at the player, then, like, why don't you just ask the guy who who actually did the cutscenes, you know, and they're... He's on vacation th- right now. Leave him alone. Well, he's on he's on constant <laughs> vacation. Yeah. And if you can't ask him, I don't think that's death of the author, or I don't think death of the author is an actual thing, unless the author literally dies. I don't know what happened to Takayoshi Sato, but, you know, if you can't ask him, then you have your interpretation. But if he is looking at the player, then I'm sure there is a reason behind that. So, you know, if if you don't know the intent, then make guesses. But if if you have the means to, to find out what an author meant, and I'll bring up J.K. Rowling again, uh, if, if she intended for Dumbledore to be gay from the beginning... She's, you know, she's, she said that whether it's said in the text or not, you can go, go to her and say like, Hey, what did you mean by this? And she'll clarify. And here's why that's a thing that you're allowed to do is because, you know, sometimes you, you make a thing, you put it out in public and you don't know how people are going to interpret it. You have your intention, but you don't know how it's going to be perceived. And that's you. You would think like as a game's being made, people would catch that during testing. But the second your game is actually launched, ten times as many people are going to be testing your game in the first hour than you did the entire length of the project. So, end rant. <laughs> so I have a question because I kind of lost track of where you sort of sat on the issue. So there. did I. I where did too. When I said, "Land, where do you <laughs> land on the?" debate between author authority and death of the author. I, I need more clarification because I'm still iffy on the death <laughs> like of the if, author concept. If, I guess if Kojima were to come out and say, this is the way it is, is is it is that officially canon or is it like what the Does, fans have come together and like decided what is canon? Mm, is that kind of what you're saying? Do you think do you think that the author has the last word? I think the author has the right to explain what they intended initially. However, there's intention and, the, and then there's perception. So after you you make a thing and you release it into the wild and people get a hold of it, you know, they're going to find things that whether you intended them or not, it's like, here's what you're saying. Like, but that's not the example, question. That's how I feel, right? So let's take Raiden, for example. He was known as the White Devil. He grew up in Liberia in the middle of Africa uh, he's he's got blonde hair and white skin, and he's the main character of Metal Gear Solid Two. Whether Kojima intended it or not, you have a person who's from Liberia, a country in Africa, with white skin, and you're saying that this is is the hero character. Now, you know, like a, a lot of people aren't going to look into that too deep, but it's you know, for me personally, I'm like, hold on a second, there's something off about this. That doesn't make any sense. Was as a as a ten year old child soldier, was he drenched in sunscreen? I need I need more context here. You get what I'm saying? I do, but I'm sure I'm sure Kojima didn't intend for that to be a problem. But that's a problem that I perceive. 
you know, just based on my experiences. So, but but the que- but that's not the question. See, I obviously, don't understand the question. Obviously, I'm sorry. Okay, no, it's okay. <laughs> obviously, there are going to be different interpretations of a work beyond what an author intended. Once it gets out into the wild, the audience is going to have a field day with it. The question yeah. is whether or not those interpretations are valid when the author says otherwise. Well, wait, hold on a second. Is the question like whether head canon is if, uh, overrides actual canon? Kind of, yeah. No, of that's course not. That's a crude not. way of putting it. Well, that's that's the debate. Oh, that's okay. what death right. of the author is about. I think portable ops is like a good example of that. Is like he came out and he's like, yeah, I would have done some stuff different, and we're like, yeah, but obviously it happened because. Right. You know, San Geronimo's mentioned, and then Peace Walker, they had the funds to do all that. It's like, where did that come from? Yeah, so it's like, Philosopher's Legacy, Ocelot killing the CIA director. So you can tell us... But it's so much more complicated than that. Yeah, you can tell us that Portable Ops didn't happen, or that it, that you may have changed some stuff, but it's like, uh, when people just say it's not canon at all, it's like, well, I don't know what you mean. Like, that, those things happen. Right. They reference it in a game that is canon, so... Yeah, maybe some of that psychic bullshit didn't happen, or I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, sure, it, some of it's different. It's it's more complicated than that because then you have to consider the edge cases. Let's say that Kojima decides one day to say, you know what, I don't like Metal Gear Solid Four. We're gonna say that's non-canon now. It didn't happen. I know it was previously, but now I decide it didn't. If Does he see- made a game. Where the events of Ford didn't happen, then in that timeline... Then no, 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 no. I'm not saying he makes a game that retcons for. I'm saying he just simply says it. Right, you obviously can't do that. That's a dick move at that point. Why not? It's either, either he has the authority or he does not. No, it's not black and white like that. There's a gray area. I think area. it is. I don't think it is. And if you think it is, all right, that's your interpretation. But I, That's my, that's would, my head cannon. that? I don't know. I, days, I mean, were you going to say something? I, I get that, you know, the author is the one that put the work together, and thus they do have some extent of agency. But, I mean, it, it's kind of... I mean, you have to be reasonable to some level that if if their piece of work or media becomes so embedded in, in a fandom or a community, and all of a sudden, like, a few years later, they just sort of renege on that. I mean, like Finger right. said, it's kind of a dick move in a sense that, yeah, I mean, you could say logically it makes sense, but in the greater scheme of things, you know, it's not in a vacuum. It, it's, it's more of a grayish area, as you guys are saying. But also, he literally couldn't disown four. I mean, if you had a better example of, like, a game in the series that he could literally disown and say, this isn't canon anymore, I don't think I mean, he could do that because... Not to not to be a stickler, but he sort of did disown fours. <laughs> did he? <laughs> you, when when Metal Gear Solid Four was first announced, the director was listed as Alan Smithy. Right. Okay, I get what you're saying. But I then know, I'm, he, being, I'm being kind of facetious about it. Yeah. yeah. He, he made five, which has references that could that derive from four. Yeah. So five makes four's ending much better. I think. I'm not. I'm not arguing that this is the case. I'm just kind of trying to to find the extremes of this yeah. argument and see where the boundaries are. That's what I'm okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, you're just poking around trying to I'm, see what's... Yeah, I'm just, poking, I'm just poking around. I'm not yeah. saying that this is actually the case. But I will blow this all up, if you don't mind. By all means. All right. Let's do it. Roland, Roland Barthes. 
was the French uh, writer who came up with Death of the Author. Okay? He died in 1980. <laughs> so... What does that say for death of the author? He did. Well, to be fair, it's it's death of the author is like a conceptual piece. Just stumped y'all. More like, like I feel like death of the author is is more facts do not exist. There are only interpretations. Oh my god, fingers! Uh, <laughs> death of the author. Is, I've always associated it with fiction, so it's like I can't I can't take somebody's thesis. And then after they die, just be like... Yeah, I know. I'm just being a jerk. Oh, well, I was about to say, you certainly poked and prodded the burrito in my stomach, the Tony Hawk burrito. <laughs> I was thinking what? so hard, my burrito's like... So on the, um, on the vamp uh, and snake scene, um, I would recommend checking out the snake soup article on this. Um, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with it, but... Uh, I have I have a deep respect for that website and the work they do to kind of dispel myths in the fandom. Shouts out to Snake Soup. Woo! Absolutely. So check that out. It's uh it's just called Solid Snake Had a Good Shot at Saving Emma, and uh, it argues that that Snake would have been putting her life at great risk by taking the shot. Okay. So. It's it's worth reading. And two, I mean, it's like you know, Vamp could always just shift her over. Like, right. and like you, you know, it's like, oh, you thought you were going to take a shot at me? No, like, you know, I'm a vampire with hyper reflexes. <laughs> it's almost reminiscent of Rose and the door on Titanic. Right. Yeah. Why couldn't Snake take the shot? Why couldn't Rose share the door? You're right. It is actually pretty similar because you had the Mythbusters straight up show, hey, he could have gotten on the door. But then James Cameron says, you're missing the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and James Cameron said that, right? The author, the director of the movie, was like, no, that's not why I did that. Right. It's not about the fact that it's a major plot hole. It's not about buoyancy, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> it's about romance, yeah. So if if Kojima were to go on record and clarify any of these conspiracies, then I wouldn't scold him for being a worthless also ran so much. But the fact that he creates all this turmoil within this community on purpose, I, I can't respect that. Yeah, he kind of just gives us just enough to argue about. It's like there is no real answer that he gives us. It's like concrete. Yeah, uh, I'm still not completely squared away on the whole did Liquid ever actually possess Ocelot issue. <clears throat> I mean, if... <laughs> I mean, yeah. The timelines are a bit fuzzy on that one. That's a uh, can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that me and you have gotten into before. It's just like, oh boy, we didn't get anywhere really. Nope. Uh, I think uh, Masahiro Ito said it pretty well when he said, to be frank, I think the fans think too much, but I also think it's fun to do. and it, like It's fun to discuss all these things. On that note, do you guys want to dive into some Q&A? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. All right, so we have still got a lot of questions to go through. The next one on the list, Oliver Gia, who is a really good guy that I know, asks, do you think Kojima will ever make an adventure game like Snatcher or Police Nuts again? 
15 years ago, I would have said no, but given how much the genre has been revitalized since then, you could make one far cheaper than a AAA title like Death Stranding. I'd like to see it. <clears throat> I'm a big Snatcher and Police Knots fan for sure. And just adventure games in general. Was majority of what I played back in the 90s. I would love to see it, but I don't think it'll happen because he seems very focused on making those AAA experiences. Now that he's kind of got that toolkit to work with, he's not really, he doesn't seem interested in scaling it down. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it'll happen. But what about like, I guess the modern iteration of adventure games is kind of like games like Heavy Rain and Detroit (laughs) Become Human. So it could be something like that with real life actors where it's like an adventure game, but you're playing through that type of gameplay. That that was going to be sort of part of my answer. Um, Personally, I'm with you guys. I would love to see sort of a modern adventure, Kojima adventure game. Um, Secondly, you know, as far as the possibility of that happening, um, one, I think that is entirely dependent on if the right piece of media influences Kojima at the right time, because that's just, you know, how the guy works. Yeah. And two, um, to your, I was actually going to mention your point fingers in that, um, you know, I'm interpreting Oliver's question as, as, as the, the cheaper part being more of like a, like a, like a, why could, why should we do this rather than a requirement? So, like you said, games like Detroit, they're pretty successful, and they, they almost are the new iteration of adventure games. So, you know, it's, it, with all those points, my overall perspective is, yes, I would love and hope for it, um, but I think that the right cogs need to be in the right place for that to actually logically happen or possibly happen. I think after 4 was released, he was actually saying that he was making an adventure game. And um, he did an interview with some magazine and said, like, if if it goes wrong, then his career could be over or something like that. But uh, he wound up doing Peace Walker. Uh, So uh, he was, in fact, working on one in the past decade. But uh, but wait, wait. wasn't the um, if I did it wrong, my career could end comment uh, regarding Project Ogre, which was MGS5? I think it was in reference to you might know more than I do about this, but I, I think it was in reference to an adventure game. Yeah, I remember reading specifically reading the text that said he was working on a, an adventure project like Snatcher or Police Knots. Well, he was um, definitely flirting with it because of right. uh, the project with with Suda51, Sudacher. Right, right, audio drama. Yeah, it's. I mean, flirting with it in the same way that he contacted Junji Ito to do a a horror game. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like you know, I'm throwing ideas around. So we should work on something. Snatcher two, baby. Yeah, that's what he does. He, he, I'm sure he has you know hundreds of ideas for new adventure games. But will he make another one again? I I really don't think so. Um, he might make a movie first before if he. You know, if he makes a movie, then I'd be like, okay, next project might be an adventure game. That's but what would tip it, me off. How would how much would it cost to do like a scum interface type game though? Now with like he'd never do something like that. I mean, that's basically what they were. Because and I talked about this. I talked about this years ago. It's like he has this reputation for for being the the people actually call him director in Japanese, but he. <laughs> 
will make those triple A big budget games because that's he has his his reputation to uphold and you know the his games have to look as much like a a Hollywood blockbuster as possible. So a scum game you can't really do that. A scum game with realistic like top half like that's a, like the the part that you actually played and stuff would look really good but you would just have yeah. that interface on the bottom of like push pull use move I really feel like everybody is missing the obvious when it comes to modern takes on adventure games because you look at games like Detroit and Heavy Rain and I agree those are kind of the closest thing we have to modern adventure games but they're not quite there they lack the level of interactivity that you can have with your environment. They lack the investigative nature of it because everything is pointed out to you and the things that are pointed out have, you know, you're very railroaded. You've got obviously branching story paths, but that's not the same as being able to more deeply interact with the world around you. Yeah, and, and just combine if, inventory and and figure out puzzles that way. It was yeah, it's it's very yeah. it's more spoon fed these days for sure. Where like if you move your cursor over something, it's like you here. You, it's just like all context, you know, sensitive pretty much. Where it'll just do what you want it to do. Right. And if we could stop being so tied down by genre conventions and just start grabbing things that are interesting and throwing them in then there there is the potential to make some really incredible adventure games if you just stop trying to make one type of game or another and just being like, okay, well, Resident Evil has a great inventory system. Let's grab that and nothing else. Or let's look at uh, Detroit and the way you navigate around the environments. Let's grab that and, and grab the branching paths. But let's also throw in the kind of movement that you might have in a game like Metal Gear Solid Five, where you have you know, you're very agile and you can move through your environment much more easily than you might in an adventure game. Like you start grabbing <laughs> things and throwing yeah. them in that might not necessarily go together normally, but then you're going to have, you know, more to work with, more of something that I think would be a better modern adventure game than Detroit. You know? I think, yeah, that's the worst part about the modern games is usually the movement of the character. The character just like moves like shit. It's like really slow and stiff. It's, it's like tank controls almost. It's just, it's bad. You're making me think of back to like clock tower days with like, <laughs> yeah. fucking Jennifer, run! Yeah. Run, bitch! And that's a, that's a prime opportunity to do something awesome. I think it's complicated. It, there's more to it than that. Oh, you know? absolutely. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that game development is easy. Like, oh, well, I've got an idea. Why can't they just do that? Like, yeah, I, it's I a complicated process. I was afraid you were idea guy. No. <laughs> Idea guy just needs people to do art and coding. Yeah. Right. Let me let me summarize it. Um I think Shout out to hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> if if we were less tied down by genre conventions, I think we would have some more interesting ideas. I think that's why there aren't so many modern adventure games because when people think adventure games, they think scum games, right? They think Sierra, LucasArts, they're not thinking like, oh, what if Metal Gear Solid Five had uh, inventory that you had to like solve puzzles with and talk to people? You know, they're not. They're 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 kind of like one track mind with these genres. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, you could make like a new iteration. Yeah, exactly. 
the reason for that is because if you add different elements from other genres, then it's no longer an adventure game. That's how we get the action-adventure genre. Ah. That's why we have games like Tomb Raider and Resident Evil is itself an action-adventure game. It was branded survival horror, and but that's only because it added the horror element. If you took out the, the fear... The fear! Um, if you take out the f- the fear element, you get... <laughs> you get uh, something like Manhunt, which is just a Splinter Cell clone. Um, But that game doesn't have any puzzle solving. So in a survival horror game, you have to have that puzzle element. Otherwise, it's just a stealth game. So... Yeah, so, there yeah. is like the inventory combination too. Yeah, I guess that's Yeah, I wasn't call. literally saying take Metal Gear. I didn't literally mean take Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah, yeah. You're saying no, of course throw these things movement. in. Just, Here's what I just think. Just like, yeah. I think if... Uh, in that vein, if Kojima were to have a more puzzle-focused game, but he still had that action element or the espionage or whatever, you know, AAA buzzword open-world bullshit he was trying to do, if, you know, I think there's potential there for him to do another detective game where you are solving puzzles or something like that, but it would still, it wouldn't be a, a hardcore 100% adventure game. It would be... It would be marketed. The problem is that it would be marketed as an action game, and that would that would make people hate it when they got to the puzzles. <laughs> There's three shootout scenes in the whole game. <laughs> just like fuck, right? And that's all you see in the trailer. Yeah. And then the see, rest I've of the game is just detective a- work. It's funny. Everybody's kind of throwing out these mechanics of of how they're defining an adventure game. You know, it seems like we're we all have all these quantifiers or qualifiers. Um, which is interesting to me because you brought up David Cage. It's funny because I, I look at the one thing, the qualities I like about adventure games, things like, um, you know, being able to in- interact with the entire environment. Me in particular, I love the fact that it has like straight failure states where you can just cut yourself out of the game completely. Oh, yeah. Whereas, like, well, I fucked myself on this round of King's <laughs> Quest. I didn't grab that pie back there. <laughs> yeah, whereas, uh, I mean... David Cage, I would say Detroit kind of has that sort of fail state with the Kamaski ending, I think it's called. Uh, I I've, I've, like didn't really play that game. But the, the point I'm making is, is like one quality of one adventure game is a completely different quality of another. So we could go on all day about what qualifies as an adventure game in our head. I, I don't know. How do we how do we put this together in something like cohesive? I'll tell you this. Because we're um, really sounding like Idea Guy right now. Yeah, a little bit. But I will say this. Um, if I did put on the Idea Guy hat for a moment, um, I have been wanting a proper detective video game for the longest time, since I was right. a kid. Yeah. Because, you know, I always thought characters like Sam Spade were cool. You know, like the the idea of the detective sitting behind his desk just mononologuing and then the mysterious figure walks in and and everything takes off from there like yeah, I like that, that shit, concept yeah. exactly and the and we got so close to that with LA Noir yeah and then it just devolved into Ooh, like such G- a good game it was almost a great game yeah yeah some of that some of that uh the emotions during the actual <laughs> Yeah, but then like, it also what are you trying like, to tell me here I this is is this like being ironic or is he just yeah they could probably do a much better job now with that. Apparently the confusion there was because they messed up the labels for, for oh, the decisions okay. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was definitely a few where I'm like, uh, I guess. 
I just but used a the guide. The big thing for me was that it just sort of devolved into a GTA Lite experience. Right. Yeah. And that's not what I want. Like, I would have been fine if there were, like, maybe one action scene in the whole thing. I want a game where I'm investigating a mystery and I have to find clues to figure right. out what's going on. And maybe I can come to the wrong conclusion, but I want less of a focus on combat and more of a focus on figuring out the problem because there's not, there doesn't seem to be a lot of that anymore. So um, I'm not going to say that this, this f- fulfills all your requirements, but did you ever play Wolf Among Us? Ooh, that was great. I did not. <gasps> That's a good one, Nitroy. Check that one out, seriously. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out then. Yeah. Yeah, the the Telltale games, they've been kind of like rocking the adventure game thing for me pretty much. Yeah, but they're dead. I know, but they made some really solid games. Like, it's a shame that that studio went down. The Walking Dead series that they did, holy shit. The uh, the Game of Thrones game that they did, all those were great. If you're into that. Or like another good game that was doing good stuff with the adventure genre was uh, Until Dawn. Oh yes! Yeah. Oh my god! And, and how you could kind of mess up in that and like kill off characters, and it's like, right. well, they didn't make it. Sorry. I, I think that whole permadeath kind of, or not permadeath, just like the dying off of characters and being able to mess up a, a route is a big part of adventure too. See, and that's a bit closer than David Cage got, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great example. To, like yeah. modern adventure. And well, I was gonna say it's a perfect example because it, it fits the genre that it's in, and that it's an adventure game, but it's it's an yeah. it's an oppressive adventure game that that works with the horror genre, that works with the teen slasher right. genre. And that's what I kind of imagine Kojima doing. And holy shit, I just thought about it. What if the horror game that he's so quote unquote working on could be one <laughs> of these type of games? And he's got all his actor buddies, you know, just scanned in like this, and then it's just a big old adventure survival horror have- game. He'd fuck it up. I'm going to blow your minds. <laughs> He'd fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, case closed. I, uh, look, I mean, those it. guys, the, they tried to do Man of Medan. They tried uh, to make lightning strike twice. They didn't yeah. quite pull it yeah, off. Yeah, we talked about that on one of the other. Uh, yeah, that one, it felt a little half-baked. But still, that's, that's what I'm saying. Imagine one of these type of games with Kojima right. at the helm, and it's like... Mm-hmm. Imagine the gameplay stuff that he could do with the controller, you know, like uh, until Dawn did that stuff where you had to, you know, like Days uh, mentioned, like where you had to just like stay still and not move. Like, right. That right. was a really cool gameplay mechanic. But Kojima could do some stuff, I think, uh, where the, the vibration and the, the things with the PS5 could give you creepy crawlies. I, I don't know. I'm just getting excited thinking about it. I'm going to make a prediction that it's a quasi prediction because he's talked about this in separate interviews. I'm just going to put them together. When he first started talking about the next game he wanted to make, he mentioned wanting to do something that played off of the trend of, you know, streaming trend, essentially. Yeah. Where he wanted to do something where there was like a voyeuristic aspect and the audience could interact with what they were watching. So the audience would have, would have, some sort of direct influence on the game that was being played. Now, would so, those be other players or like people on Twitch? Because that's I'm trying to think of like the logistics of that, how that would work. Well, like you would just Sony like have has, people on the server that would be spectators, kind of just like I'm going to mess with this person's game. Sony's already experimented with this in their own little streaming ecosystem that they have because some games will allow the audience to 
press buttons and and issue commands that the game can receive and then react. And it's just little tiny things like yeah. dropping items in and effects and things like that. But it works to some Telltale extent. Telltale did that too, I think, where it's it's more just like other people in your local area network or whatever can like help yeah. make the decisions and stuff. So here's the prediction. If he's making a horror game, but this is the same thing as the other one that he mentioned... What if he's working on some sort of voyeuristic horror game where there are players in the game trying to survive uh, some situation, but they depend on the reaction of the audience to make it through? And so that th- so their behavior and the influence that has on the audience has a direct impact on whether or not they succeed. You shouldn't have given that idea away for free. <laughs> I think that's what he's doing. It would probably have some sort of meta narrative about crowdsourcing and social media and the plot and narrative would revolve around it too. There's an old Doctor Who episode where it was like Big Brother, but the person who got voted out was killed. And I think it's going to be something akin to that where you have like, you know, the audience is going to vote on their favorite survivor and someone's, you know, going to get killed if they don't get voted for. I think, I think, He's going to go somewhere down that path, but that's well, just my prediction. Ubisoft is kind of doing that right now with, I think it's called Hyperspace, where if you're streaming it on Twitch, I don't know how it works exactly. I have a beta key, but when you're streaming on Twitch, people can vote for sort of what like buff event happens in your game. Like, oh, you get extra ammo or, you know, gravity gets, there's no gravity um, and then subscribers, they their vote counts three times as much. So mm. it's it's certainly you know not unprecedented. But what if there's um, no people watching? Does it just like still just like spin a wheel and give you a random bonus? Like it could. To... I don't know. That's a good question. It would um, be like playing uh, Death Stranding offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember Twitch plays Pokemon. Yep. Yeah. It could do that. Hmm. I don't know how. I wonder if if maybe they could, you know, utilize in, instead of doing like a streaming experience, maybe utilize the stranding system or the strand system. Um, I was going to say create a scenario, you know, in the same sense that Death Stranding had these scenarios where Sam barely makes it off the skin of his teeth to a location because, you know, somebody just happened to put down like a zip line or a power generator. In the same vein, you know, you could have a survival horror game where, like, you're just getting off the skin of your teeth from a monster or or a set piece, you know, because some Someone other player... Someone left you some ammo or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know huh. when I face, like, the BTs, I, like, spam the call-out button so, like, the naked ghost Sams will throw guns at me. So, you know, the, the thought is there. Kojima knows how to evoke that type of urgency with the stranding system. Yeah. So. Shout out to the people that put down generators, the real MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say he is doing something along these lines where you have a horror game with a social element. You have an audience, you have players. And if you don't do the right thing in game, then the audience will vote you out. And, and I don't know if I'm predicting him or if I'm just giving away more ideas for free here, but you could make like, cancel culture the game out of this and i wonder yeah think about that 
I did think about it. I'm violently against it. <laughs> yeah. There was. Uh, I mean, a... he gamified nuclear deterrence, so why not gamify cancel culture? There was an episode of Black Mirror that pretty much did that. The one about like the robot bees and whoever got the most like shitty tweets about them, the robot bees killed them. Does anybody remember that? I didn't see that one. No, I didn't see that one. fucker episode. <laughs> I saw the episode where like the ads were playing, and if you closed your eyes, they would stop, and then they would, oh. it would only resume play. Like it would do if you closed your eyes, it was just like sirens and like loud, obnoxious sounds. And then fifteen would, million merits. Right? You would have to open up your yeah. uh, eyes to see it. Man, right. that's my personal nightmare. Yeah, that one sucked. That made me like stop watching that show. I was like, fuck all these ideas. I don't want to <laughs> think about this. But that, but that's cyberpunk. Yeah, I guess. Don't. See, my favorite one was a uh, metalhead, which was the black and white one about the the killer robot dog, mm. and how it was super intelligent. And I've I've never seen a better depiction of AI outsmarting humans and actually behaving like and like you would expect a super intelligent AI to react. And the yeah, way it well. tracks her down is just it's terrifying. So Kojima adventure games. I think in some form, one of the elements could be in one of his next games. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that's what I was going to say. Not in a traditional sense, 100%. We're not going to get a scum game. We're not going to get a police knots or a snatch or two, but. No, I think he, there's definitely a capacity for his next game to have heavy adventure elements, but it wouldn't yeah. be a like a straightforward 100% adventure. It would be a hybrid of something else. Yeah. It'd be like an, like an action puzzler, like that Catherine garbage. That's yeah. You know, I think we we've talked about doing a snatcher and police not episode, you know. But I think he, I think that writing, like the the slow mystery, like burn on on those games were were both like good stories, you know. Like it, they they have their problems, sure, but I, I liked how those games unfolded themselves. Yeah, ultimately they were just simple mysteries. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it was it was a fun little quick little romp. It was like okay, nothing nothing too crazy here, but that was that was cool. I liked all the detail. I liked. All the extra writing. Watch his next game will just straight up be a scum game. Yes. Yeah. I'd play it. And we're like, wait a second. He listens he to this show. Our, yeah, he's got to be one of our fans. One of your fans. Now, I hope that answers uh, your question. Yeah, thanks, Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. Ollie J. You the man. <laughs> <laughs>